Hello and welcome to the weekly sermon by White Sulphur Baptist of Georgetown, Kentucky. We hope that you find this resource encouraging and helpful. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, but we would love to see you in person on Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Thanks again for tuning in. Well, good morning, White Sulphur. Uh, I'm pretty excited about this morning. So this was the first time that we tried out our new schedule and we got to have uh, a little bit of time in between Sunday school and service. And I I saw exactly uh, what I've been praying for to see. And that was conversations happening and and fellowship and getting to know people and having a chance to to talk and catch people, new people as they're coming in. That has been really exciting. Um, so I, I'm, I'm jazzed this morning. Um, one thing that stood out to me from a seminar that I went to a week or two ago, and th- this has been rolling around my head ever since I heard this quote, and I can't remember who originally said it, but it had to do with churches and Sunday morning, and they said that an alone person in our gathering is an emergency. An alone person. Anyone, anyone who's alone in our gathering, that's an emergency. And so as we're moving into this uh, new season and as we're trying new things and as we're welcoming and inviting and evangelizing, we see new people come in. We will not let them be alone, that we're a church family, that we're going to welcome them. We're going to accept them. And, and I'm, I'm excited to see all of this grow and flourish. So an alone person in our gathering is an emergency. And just one more thing. Thank you, Will, Kelly, and Bethany for leading worship this morning. You guys saved us. We really appreciate uh, the help. As you've seen, we're running on a skeleton crew this morning, but that's okay, right? Because uh, the church's glory isn't in her numbers, right? But it's in her purity of worship, and it's in the word proclaimed, and it's in discipleship. And that's still what we're doing this morning, no matter how many people we have during spring break. So with those things, let me Pray for us, and we will get started on our Palm Sunday sermon. Father, we are, we're kind of coming from an emotional roller coaster of a week and then headed into an emotional roller coaster of a week as we think about the, the last few days of your life. So here we've had a heavy news cycle the last few days where there's been shootings in schools and there's been corruption and government, and there's been disasters, um, natural disasters that have taken lives, and we've just kind of been sitting in that for a few days. And I I know that I feel the weight of it. Um, I pray that what we have been saying for the last two months about your word, about the gospel of Mark, that it's good news for hard times, I pray that that really gets um, some teeth to it when we're living through times like this when we are in hard times where it does seem like there's so much darkness around us that the, the word would be the light to our feet, like it says in the Psalms, that there would be this warmth and this brightness that, that we get when we open our Bibles, when we gather with other Christians, when we sing your praises, that those things would communicate the good news for the hard times that we're living in. Father, I pray that you would, that you would focus our hearts as we move into this week where we're, we're looking at your entry into Jerusalem. We're going to be talking about the last dinner that you had with your disciples, the betrayal that you suffered, and ultimately the cross and the resurrection. I pray that you would focus our hearts and still our minds and bring us to a place where 
we are once again struck by awe when it comes to the gospel story and the kind of God that we serve. I pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. All right, so we are going to stay in Mark, but we're going to skip ahead a little bit. So we're going to stay in Mark. You can open up to Mark chapter 11. That's where we're going to be this morning. We're looking at the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. Before we get there, um, I have a question for you. Now, David, don't actually answer, okay? All right, I know you get excited. So we have a question for you. Have you ever shown up to something expecting it to be one thing, but finding it to be another? I have a couple of examples of this from my own life. So... Bethany uh, had found a couple of planter boxes on Facebook Marketplace that she wanted me to go pick up for her. And they were a long drive. It was like 40 minutes, but they were, I think they're free. And so, that, yeah, they were free. They were free. And so it was worth the drive to go get these really nice planter boxes. And I was communicating with the lady on Facebook Messenger, letting her know what time I would be there, telling her what kind of car I would be driving. She knew that it was going to be me. I was expecting to show up to pick up these planter boxes and then to drive home. Easy peasy, right? Should be no problem. I pull up to this lady's house, and her garage door is open, like she said it would be, and the planter boxes are in the driveway waiting for me, and they're free, right? So I'm, I'm not expected to exchange any money or anything like that. So I go, and, and I grab one of these. I drag it over the car, and I load it into the back of the car. I go get the other one. I'm halfway down the driveway with this second planter box, and the lady comes out of the house yelling at me. And she's hollering, what are you doing? What are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm, I'm here to pick up the planter boxes. And she's like, I'm not, I'm not getting rid of those. And I said, well, this is your address, right? And this is your name. And, and I have no idea what happened in between when I was talking to her through Messenger on Facebook and when I showed up at her house. But something happened where she was no longer giving away these planter boxes. And she started yelling at me that I was stealing her planter boxes. And I, all I could think of was to say was, it's me, CJ, from Facebook, <laughs> and which didn't help the situation at all. She thought I was some uh, creep that had been stalking her online or something. And so there was this complete disconnect in what I expected to be there or experience and, and what was actually awaiting me when I went to pick up these planter boxes. It was a very strange experience. So I calmed her down. I went and got the planter box back out of the car, put it back on her driveway and drove away, never understanding what happened? I feel like I was getting pranked in that situation because there was such a disconnect between what I was expecting and what happened. Now, the other time uh, that maybe this was this one's even worse. Um, <laughs> so Bethany's dad, uh, when we were we had just gotten married, he kept talking about this marriage conference that him and her mom went to. And he kept saying over and over, it's such a great conference. It did wonders for our marriage early on. We're so glad that we did it at the beginning. And, and he had been talking about it for a long time. I never pulled the trigger on, on buying tickets to it. So he actually bought us tickets to the marriage conference and the hotel and said, you guys just go. I just want you to go and experience this. And so we said, okay, you know, free trip out of state. That could be fun. And so we go for the weekend, expecting this really cool, you know, revitalizing, refreshing, encouraging marriage conference. And when we get there, it turns out that her dad, so there's kind of this umbrella of conferences, and under the umbrella, they have these mini conferences for different uh, focuses. And it turns out that he bought the tickets to the wrong marriage conference. 
And so when we show up, it's actually a marriage conference for, for couples that aren't together anymore. Right? It's a, it's a marriage conference for people who either are recently divorced, are considering divorce, or are at a place where they just don't like each other. And so Bethany and I go walking in there as newlyweds, big smiles on our face and holding hands. And we're looking around and we're like, man, everyone seems a little tense in here. And it took us all of about two or three hours to figure out we were sitting in the wrong marriage conference. And then we were there all weekend. And... For some reason, they were extremely hard on the men in the room. So, so Bethany got to go up to the hotel room and she got to relax. And I had homework for multiple hours a day during the weekend that I had to do. And the, I showed up to something expecting something completely different. And w- what I got was uh, n- nothing that I could have ever imagined that I would spend my weekend doing. I think I wrote 14 pages by hand or something because of all the homework assignments that I had. And Bethany was uh, playing video games or something in a hotel room. <laughs> so my point is that sometimes we show up expecting one thing, but we get another. And this is, this is a little bit what's happening when it comes to the triumphal Entry When Jesus is riding into Jerusalem, the people are excited because they've got something in their mind. They know what they're expecting, the kind of king that they are expecting. They had a bunch of people gather around um, and they are celebrating. There's a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of energy. But we saw in our series so far, even in the early chapters of Mark, that the people, they just can't quite grasp who this Jesus is. That they keep getting him wrong just a little bit. That yes, he does do miracles, but that's not the point. right? The miracles are pointing to something greater, but they want him for entertainment. They want him for financial gain. They want him for physical healing. They're missing that he's something so much greater than that. And even here in chapter 11 of Mark, people are misunderstanding the Messiah that they see in front of him. Early Christians were surprised by the kind of Messiah that Jesus was. They showed up to party and expecting one thing, and they got another. So before we read our text this morning, my question for you that I want all of us to be sitting with are these. How do you hear the gospel message? We've been talking about the parables that we have to have ears to hear. How many times have you heard the account of Jesus riding a donkey into Jerusalem? Probably every year, right? Every year, how are you hearing that? Is your heart still soft to this message? Is it still something new that surprises you every time that you hear it? Or have you become hardened to the message? Have you become numb to the gospel message? Is it just white noise in the background that you hear once or twice a year? So my prayer for us this morning is that as we read and consider the Jesus of the Bible, that we would be once again surprised by him, that he would once again capture our attention, and not just some Jesus that we've made up in our minds, but the real Jesus, the Jesus that the Bible describes. I hope that no matter how many times we read the Bible, that we will always be struck by the fact that the the God, the creator, the, the righteous king of the universe descended to us. Because we couldn't get to him on our own. That in grace he met us where we were. And in grace he made a way for us to be reconciled to him. Not because he needs us. But because he loves us. And because he wants us. And that changes everything 
when we have that perspective of the gospel. So, Mark 11, starting in verse 1, all the way through 11. Now, when they drew near to Jesus, I'm sorry, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately, as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. And so there's a few things that strike us immediately about this passage. And you can find these in the other gospel accounts. Some of them give you more detail. And and Mark has this focus on just being kind of concise and to the point. This is what happened. That's why we've called it maybe like an early Christian gospel track that was being circulated. But the couple of things that strike us is the humility of Jesus. The humility of Jesus, that he is a humble king. And this doesn't start here at his entry into Jerusalem. In fact, I think that we could go much, much farther back. So I was looking at uh, the, some people call it Holy Week, right? This week that we're going through. And it starts really with Mary and Joseph, the birth of Jesus. That's the beginning of the story of Jesus. Jesus rode in Mary's womb. And what we often think is that when there was a census called, Mary and Joseph uh, went and they traveled, they did. And, and some people think that, and I did until recently, that Mary rode a donkey, but it doesn't actually say that. I don't know if anyone else has caught that, but it doesn't say that Mary rode a donkey. But in every, uh, every uh, picture that's painted or any way it's portrayed in media, you often see Mary on a donkey, But if it wasn't a donkey, that means that she had to walk, and it was about 90 miles. 90 miles. She was very far along in her pregnancy. And so baby Jesus, even before he's born, he is, in a sense, suffering and feeling discomfort and and knowing what it means to be human the entire human experience. Even in the womb, he's not Comfortable. I can't imagine a mother or baby being comfortable in that situation. And then he was born among farm animals. So the king, the creator of everything, the one who, who with his words breathed everything into existence is now laying helpless among the filth and the feet of the very animals that he created. There wasn't even room for him in a normal place to lodge for the night. He's with the animals. He was the son of a carpenter. So he wasn't born into a rich family or an influential family or even a popular family. He was the son of a blue-collar worker from a town that no one really cared about. His humility has deep, deep roots for us going into Palm Sunday. 
He had no home during his ministry. He was mocked. He was called crazy by his family. And then Paul, if you were to turn to Philippians 2, 1 through 11, you can turn there if you'd like. You don't have to. I'm going to read it for us. Paul really draws on this idea of the the humility of Christ, the humble king, and, and he makes it practical for us and shows us why this matters, and we can't just skip over this. He says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition. I mean, just those words, do nothing from selfish ambition. I don't think Jesus did anything from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So that humility that we see demonstrated for us at the triumphal entry, right? That is ours in Christ Jesus because he secured it for us. Verse 6, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. We have to be careful here because he didn't empty himself of his deity. He didn't empty himself of being God. He emptied himself of the rights that were due to him as the king of heaven. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then verse 9 is important. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him that name that is above every name. In verse 10, so that at the time of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the first part of Paul's argument here, playing off of the humility of Jesus, is that that this should absolutely astound us and that it's an example to strive for, to emulate. Though we may not reach it perfectly in this lifetime, he is the standard for what it means to be humble. That we count others as more significant than ourselves. That we serve. That we put others before us. That we're of one mind. That we love each other. But then second, and this is what I love about the story of Jesus, the account of Jesus from his triumphal entry to his death and resurrection. It is so intrinsically evangelistic that it's just pleading with people to believe this. And it has this power about it that Paul talks about. He's arguing that the humility of Jesus is so foreign to humans that it serves as one of the greatest evangelistic tools in the hands of Christians. The humility of the one true God, Jesus Christ, is unlike anything the world had ever seen. It's unlike any other religion and worldview. It is wholly set apart. It is wholly unique that there would be a God that says, my people can't get to me. And so instead of demanding that they work harder, that they do better, that they reach him, that he goes to them. That he assumes the form of a servant and says, I will come and serve you and I will provide a way for you to be reconciled to me so that we can live in eternity together in perfect joy and unity. That sets the gospel message apart. That sets this week apart from every other 
religion. And that is the message that we take to to Scott County and to the nations. That's the message that it says brings people to their knees. That's the message that needs to be filling the mouths of people as they confess Jesus as the Christ. And that is the Jesus that we should be celebrating on Palm Sunday. That's the one that we should be expecting today. I don't want us to show up here looking for the wrong Jesus. He rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, and this is significant. This isn't merely an act of humility, but it's also prophesied. It's promises kept from the Old Testament. So you look at Zechariah 9, 9 through 10. The prophet says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. He's in the first sentence. He's expecting celebration that the king has come, that the promises have been kept, that you should be rejoicing and praising and excited and full of enthusiasm. He says, Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous. And having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. We'll stop there for a second. There's three different times the donkey is mentioned. He uses the word donkey, he uses the word colt, and he uses the word foal. Now what's happening here is that in the Hebrew, they're trying to capture that this is not just a donkey. right? Because that might happen by accident. This donkey is very specific. It's a male It's young, and it's never been ridden before. And that's what it would take for the prophecy to be fulfilled. And that's exactly the donkey that Jesus finds. Verse 10, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. And the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. And so you see this contrast that the war horse is being put to shame by the king riding a young donkey. That's the kind of king that we expect on Palm Sunday. The king that is in humility, riding in for his people, and yet victorious. And he takes something that is so unsuspecting and makes it so powerful that he comes in righteousness. The king that was promised in the Old Testament, he's righteous. And this doesn't just mean that he is ruling in a righteous way, but he is righteousness itself. That the very definition of righteousness comes from his character, from his self, from his attributes. He is righteousness. He is perfectly righteous. Jesus kept the law perfectly during his life, providing his righteousness for us. And by grace through faith, that righteousness is secured for every believer. That he is righteousness. He doesn't just bring it with him. It is what he is in his essence He didn't just come to establish a kingdom of righteousness, but he came to make sinners righteous. He came to make you righteous. This is not merely a governmental perspective, but this is an individual thing that is happening here. He's mounted on a donkey, and and one commentator said this, the donkey stands out as a deliberate rejection of this symbol of arrogant trust in human might. Expressing subservience to the sovereignty of God. Jerusalem's king is of a humble mien, yet victorious. And so it has always been that the church does not effectively spread the gospel by sword or by arrogance, but by mirroring the humble spirit of its king and savior. Such is the entrance of this messianic king, one who is righteous, 
with salvation, who comes not in worldly might, but in weakness and in the folly of the cross. That's the king that we expect as we go through this week. That's the king that we expect as we lead into Easter. And then he was the celebrated king on this day as he's entering Jerusalem, which is so curious because they're so disappointed with him by the end of the week. That they're, they're throwing their cloaks down, they're waving palm branches, they're singing, Hosanna, Hosanna. People will cheer for what they love, people will show up for what matters, and they'll sacrifice for what they believe in. So there is something genuine happening here. These people are genuinely excited about the person that they believe is before them. This word Hosanna that they're shouting, there's a few possible translations. You could go with uh, salvation, right? They could be shouting salvation. He's brought salvation to us. You could be going with liberation or with great help. There's multiple ways that that could be used. But if we're looking at the context, if we're looking at the political climate and the culture around them, I think that we would be, we'd have a pretty safe bet to say that it's liberation, That's kind of what they have on their mind, that finally our king from the line of David, the great warrior who overthrew nations, who protected Israel, has arrived. And he's going to overthrow the Romans. He's going to push our oppressors off of us. And this is going to be amazing. And I'm excited about that Jesus, the Jesus that provides political power and provides a comfortable lifestyle in my own country. I'll celebrate that Jesus. So are the people cheering for liberation and salvation from their sins or something else? I don't even know if that would have been enough for them to celebrate if that's all that he promised, if if that's all that they could understand in that moment. I don't know that we would have Palm Sunday. Is that enough for us today? That if all he brings is liberation and salvation And then after this life, riches and joy for eternity. Is that enough? Is that enough for us to get excited about Jesus? It's easy to look back on these people in Scripture and think, you know, how could they possibly go from praising him one day to spitting on him the next? But we have to be careful not to deceive ourselves that we are in some morally superior position where we sit, that we don't want to look back on people from other times. I think C.S. Lewis called this chronological snobbery. That of course we wouldn't because we're here and they're not here. And we can look back on them and, and judge them because we can see the whole picture. But the human problem is the sin problem and that's still a problem until Christ comes back again or we go home. So looking back on these people, let's be slow to judge When we come here, we sing our hymns, we read our Bibles, and we pray, and then tomorrow we gossip, and we lie, and we lust. We have just used Jesus for kind of a a, a religious high, or moral box checking, and then tomorrow we go, and we scorn him, we spit on him, and we slap his face just like they did. Are we excited about the Jesus that just provides things for us, or the one who can set us free from sins? Have we made him King Jesus? over our lives. Did these people know the Jesus that they were so excited about? Do you know the Jesus of the Bible? Are you sure that you're cheering for the real Jesus as we go into Easter? Something that we should keep fresh on our minds is that that was the last time that he will come riding a donkey. 
that that was the last time that that will be the mode of operation for him as he shows up on the earth. Revelation 19, 11 through 16 tells us what it'll be like next time. He says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepresses of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's the Jesus that's coming back the next time. Right now there's grace. Right now there's a hand that that is extended out, and that hand has, has the holes in it from being held to the cross. But the hand that's coming back will still have blood on it, but it won't be of his own. It'll be in judgment. The time for grace will be over. The time to make a decision will be over. Last time he came in humility, offering peace and salvation. Next time he comes as a warrior, bringing judgment. Last time he rode in on a donkey, and this next time he will descend from heaven on his white war horse. Last time his blood ran for the sins of the world. Next time the blood of the still unrepentant will be what flows. Worship team, if you'll join me at this time, I would appreciate that. We started this morning talking about what kind of Jesus to expect and the mistake that the people were making. That they didn't really know the Jesus that they were cheering for. They didn't really know the Jesus they were so excited about. They showed up there thinking they were going to get something. They got something else and they were disappointed. And I can't imagine right now being disappointed by the Jesus that the Bible describes. The one that we've said over and over came down to us to provide a way that we couldn't earn for ourselves. The one that still has his hands out offering salvation and grace and mercy. And they were disappointed and they, and they spit on him and they scorned him. And so I can't help but feel this weight and this burden for white sulfur that we know the real Jesus of the Bible. That he's not something that has been constructed in our minds uh, from our political preferences or our culture at large. But from the word of God, we, we know who he is. Right? That he is the righteous king that he is he is the rightful ruler of the universe but also our hearts so are you sure that the jesus that you've placed your faith in is the jesus of the bible or is it the jesus that you wanted the jesus that you constructed in your mind the people were cheering for jesus they were genuine in their excitement but they were genuinely wrong about who they were cheering for When that king of theirs, when he didn't meet their expectations, when he hung on a cross instead of sitting on a throne, 
like they imagined David to do in their minds. They're disappointed. They left him. They walked away. And I'm worried that for a lot of people today, there's a collision coming in the future between the real Jesus and the Jesus that you have in your mind. The way that we're going to fix this is by going back to Scripture. The way that we're going to do this is by falling in love with the Word of God again, which is the very name that he gives to himself in Revelation. That he is the word that has taken on flesh and revealed himself to us. That he has made himself known in his word. That this word, the scriptures, are sufficient for raising one up in righteousness. We need to return to the word. The real Jesus, he came in humility. He died a criminal's death on the cross. He established an eternal spiritual kingdom and offers you redemption from your sins and reconciliation to God the Father. So as we go into this week, as we begin to think about the Last Supper, the betrayal, Good Friday, the cross, Resurrection Sunday, let's pray that God would bring us back, would focus our minds on this Jesus. Let's do some soul searching. Is this the Jesus that I've really believed in? The Jesus that is humble, the Jesus that rode in on a donkey, the Jesus that that emptied himself of all of the rights due to him for me. And then that same Jesus that's returning, that will bring an end to this time where there's an offer on the table. So this morning, you can use this time when I give an invitation for a multitude of things. If you don't know this Jesus at all, come down here. I want to introduce you to that Jesus. I want to pray with you. I want to begin that process with you and start that walk with you. Or maybe you have believed in a Jesus of your own construct for years. And it's not paying off. He's not uh, giving you your three wishes like a genie the way that you had expected. And maybe you need to come down here and ask for forgiveness of worshiping a false Jesus and then turn to the real one. The one that can really provide riches, eternal joy and life with him. Maybe you just want to come down here and you want to pray for this church and for this community. As we go out and as we evangelize that that hearts would be prepared and there would be ears to hear and that people would respond to the gospel message that we've talked so much about and will continue to forever. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would just peel away any layer of falsehood or deception or inconsistency or whatever I could call it. Take away all of the lenses by which we try to see Jesus and just let us see Jesus. Father, help us in the purest way possible to know your Son. Wash us in your word. Renew our minds. Give us new hearts. I pray that we would would learn to love and expect the real Jesus. The one who doesn't always agree with us, but knows what's best for us and tells us the truth. Father, I pray for the hearts in this room that they would be soft, 
the seeds would be planted and that you would protect those seeds from the schemes of the enemy as they leave this church building this morning. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love and God of the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we have or ask, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace this morning.